Welcome to episode 7 of As You Were Saying. On this episode, we talk about polar bears, Lori Laughlin, and motion capture. If you'd like to leave a review, go to creativeandbeyond.com and use the contact form. You can also go to iTunes. Please forgive us for the poor audio this week. All I can say is that there was a gremlin involved. Apparently, I could have stopped the recording before it actually started, which confuses me. Well, hello, Aaron. Hello, Gordon. What are you drinking? Just drinking water today. Still or sparkling? Still water. Okay. You always have to clarify that because yeah, I mean, we... I'm still drinking still water. <laughs> Big sparkling water family, remember. So yes, I... that's right. That's right. It, it matters to you. It does quite a bit. And how about you, Gordon? What are you drinking? I am drinking a natural passion fruit essenced sparkling water made by LaCroix. Oh my goodness. Or, or LaCroix if you want to be incorrect about the way you pronounce this particular brand of beverage. I, I do. I have heard that it's LaCroix, so I, I know better. It is definitely LaCroix. I checked with the company after somebody very adamantly told me that I was like mistaken and, you know, uncultured for pronouncing it LaCroix. <laughs> yeah, it was. No, no, it's LaCroix. You know, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, so. whatever, whatever. <laughs> you you just have to shrug and say you don't know what you're talking about and i do yeah yeah sometimes the shrug doesn't work though mm. sometimes well jimmy tell us what you're drinking oh hey hey jimmy <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let me uh, let me introduce my coworker and friend jimmy corvin who will be joining us as a guest on the show today hey guys welcome jimmy thanks thanks for having me it's our pleasure. So it's uh, the middle of the day uh-huh. um, on a weekday, which means I'm drinking bourbon right now. Oh, excellent. Very <laughs> I'm nice. kidding. I'm drinking still water out of my, my trusty hydro flask. Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're still drinking water or is it still water? As, in, as opposed to sparkling. Okay. I see. Um, so, so Jimmy, great. you're a, a fellow hydro flask user. I am. I am. I love this thing. More than I should for just a drinking vessel. Well, I, I can't blame you. I love mine as well. <laughs> sorry, I can't. Sorry, I don't know why. I just can't stop laughing. All I can think about is, I don't know. It's, it's just part of having, like, part of living the good life, I guess, is just having a drinking vessel that you can enjoy and love. And <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, one one of those lessons that you only learn later in life. Yep, it keeps my water cold all day. That's simple that's pleasure. Good. Impressive. <laughs> now, is it do you filter it or is it tap? Uh, I'm fine either way. Okay. If I get filtered water, great. If not, I'm not afraid to to turn on tap water. Aaron, what about you? Uh, always filtered. Oh, oh, always filtered. Okay. Pretty much. I I avoid tap as much as I can. I am primarily filtered as well, but that's that's because you know that's where the cold water is in the filtered container. So, I I'm not super opposed to unfiltered water, but maybe I should be. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer mine room temp, actually. Oh, interesting. So you, or just a little bit cold, I guess. I see. I see. Yeah. So, Jimmy, I have a, a question for you. Sure. Shoot. How do you, how do you feel about the phrase whole nother? A whole nother. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm most, I, I'm fine with it. I can understand why somebody might hold issue with it, but it conveys what it needs to convey. So I'm mostly fine with it. So if, if my, 
if many of my sentences were comprised of <laughs> a, a phrase, a whole nother, you would be you would be fine with that. <laughs> yes, I would be fine with that, especially if you keep using comprised that way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, listeners yeah, of the show yeah. will will remember we've spent some time talking about comprised and its usage. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 I, I don't know. I, I don't know that my. Oh man, now I'm getting confused about how to use comprise. Comprises. Um, I know, I know, but I. Uh, X comprises the, Y. A whole, a whole nother comprises few of my sentences. <laughs> oh my God, that I think kind of broke my brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we aim to do. <laughs> Learning every day and breaking brains. Right. <laughs> We'll see if Jimmy lasts the episode at this rate. I know. It's, right. <laughs> Starting um, out pretty rough here. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about polar bears? Um, I'm fine with it, even though it is a miss. I think it's – no, it's not a misnomer. They are bears. It's koalas that are the misnomers. Oh, right. um, I think they're neat. <laughs> how do you feel about the fact that they hunt and eat people? Um, it's just kind of what they do. Like, they they – they're they're living their natural life, so I would just say if if it's a shame when it happens, and I feel sorry for the anybody who's affected by it, but maybe don't hang out near a polar bears. Now, was that effect with an A or an E? That would be effect with an A. I see. Okay. Um, what about this whole Coca-Cola polar bears drinking Coca-Cola thing? Do you think that's real? Is that natural? Your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think it's exactly natural, but, um, I have no idea what a polar bear's affinity for super sugary drinks are. So wait, is, so is someone feeding Coca-Cola to actual polar bears? Well, well no, that's the Coca-Cola commercials. It's, okay. But I was wondering if like in, in honor of the commercials, someone was giving Coke to uh, polar bears just to see how they really like it. I'd have to imagine they love it. I feel like animals love sugary things in general. Yeah. I, I don't know who, who wouldn't love Coca-Cola. I mean, it's, I mean, it's essentially poison, but a beautiful, delicious poison. Um, <laughs> describe Coca-Cola, a beautiful, delicious. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think you is... should talk to their marketers about that. They might really, like <laughs> I get frustrated with, with Coca-Cola. They, I, I, their commercials seem to suggest that they sell happiness, but I think they sell diabetes. Disney <laughs> is the only company that actually sells happiness that I know of. Um, so I, yeah, it could not, uh, I have mixed, mixed feelings about Coca-Cola, but I do, I do love it. I don't drink very much of it anymore. Yeah. I drink very regularly. It's, it is delicious. Yeah. I try to avoid sodas knowing how bad they are, but occasionally I will indulge. Okay, one last question. Which do you think smells worse? A polar bear drinking an ice-cold Coca-Cola in the blazing hot sun or a koala bear in Sydney that hasn't taken a bath in two weeks? And that's all the information you get. Uh, I'm going to go with the polar bear. Okay, I think you're right, but why? why? Why do you think that's the right answer? Because I think that the polar bear... Regardless of what it's drinking, although the Coke probably isn't helping, um, I think it's less 
uh, adapt to blazing sun than koalas that are basically from the outback. I, I think that's a solid answer. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I think that's a fair assessment as well. Now, I this might not relate, but I have actually pet a koala bear before. Um, and apparently what it, it, this was in Australia. And apparently whatever I was doing was incorrect because they, the handler, even though I saw no change in the koala or it didn't really seem to be moving or have any kind of expression, the handler said, I was angering the koala and I needed to stop. <laughs> you almost got your face clawed off by a koala. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been the cutest mauling of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it would have. I, you know, I would have been in a lot of pain, but enjoying it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like clawing at your face. It's worth it. Ah. Oh, man. It's interesting. Uh, when I was there, when I was in Australia, I got to hold a koala, but I was not allowed to pet it. Which really? I know is weird, but I could put, you know, kind of cradle it under one arm and put the other arm around kind of as you would hold a baby. Um, but I was not allowed to, like, go above its head and, like, kind of pet down its back. And I think that was my mistake. Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's probably exactly what I did that was wrong. All right. I have a question for both of you. <laughs> and, and then maybe we can move on to some some of the show. Uh, all right. Which do you think is cuter? A polar bear drinking Coca-Cola, a koala drinking a um, Foster's beer or a baby senator uh, chewing on some rhubarb? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a hard one. I'm going to go with the polar bear again. I mean, that's uh, a, good, a good answer. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. It's. It's one of those things that default, if you just go polar bear as the default answer, you're usually right. Right. <laughs> I mean, Coke picked it for a reason. Yeah, exactly. They know what they're doing. They do. Oh, they do. Though uh, right. we, we, we should look into Marie Callender's using centaurs as their, uh, as their mascot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever start my own university, they're going to be the baby centaurs or centaurs <laughs> or however you pronounce that word. I centaur, think, I think. Yeah, I think centaur is correct. Centaur, okay. It's a uh, centaur and chimera, not centaur and chimera. Chimera. <laughs> <laughs> so I see something in the show notes about Full House. Aaron, oh. are you are you a big Full House fan? And why are we talking about Full House on the show? Well, this is only somewhat related to Full House. Uh, this is this is more related to a college bribe scandal. Have you guys heard about this? Oh, I, I have. have. I have. Yeah. So here's the here's the gist of it, is that, for those who don't know, uh, 33 parents, including some celebrities from uh, Full House and uh, Desperate Housewives, as well as some big CEOs, are accused of paying anywhere between 200000 and $6.5 million to have their children entered into universities, including Yale, Georgetown, Stanford, and UCLA. Um, they've also accused nine college coaches who have accepted bribes in exchange for granting admission. Um, there's a fake charity that was set up called Key Worldwide Foundation, uh, set up by William Singer for accepting the bribes. And there's a proctor who is paid to correct wrong answers on students' SAT tests, uh, as well as a counselor, Mark Riddle, or Riddell, I'm not sure how, I'm, how to pronounce it, but he was paid 
to take tests on students' behalf, and he's usually paid about uh, 10 grand per test that he took. Wow. Wow. And then also coaches were paid to portray students as being in athletic leagues that they uh, did not participate in, such as rowing crew and a few other things. Uh, the universities are not being held liable, and it looks like most of the students weren't, or the children uh, were not aware of what was going on. But uh, yeah, so pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, that is crazy. Now, wasn't, so let's see, Lori Laughlin, that's the aunt from Full House, right? Aunt, yeah. aunt Becky. Uh, oh, Aunt Becky. Okay, got it. Um, is that Jesse's wife? Yes. Uncle Jesse? Okay. So I think her daughter is an influencer and was one of the the children that got into college through the bribery and i i guess she her her uh social media persona is it doesn't take education very seriously and I don't know, that was part of the obviously that i don't know how much that's not really legally relevant but uh plays into the drama um it's, you know doesn't sound like aunt becky was you know doing a very good job here yeah Shame right. on you, Aunt Becky. <laughs> so what do you two think about this? Is this something... So what What was the wrongdoing here? Probably the... I mean, outside of the school saying that this doesn't happen, which, I mean, let's be honest, obviously this happens. Yeah. Um, like, there's, it's not a coincidence that a lot of, we'll say very prestigious schools, tend to have very, very rich students. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my gut was obviously this happens. The thing that really kind of struck a chord with me was like the level of cheating, like not just the, of course, like we're willing to pay however much money to get them in, but like going to the level of change this score, like the standardized tests and the testing and all the things that are supposed to kind of make things a little more fair. Like the fact that that was thrown out the window also is like, wow, this is, this went a lot further than I, than I had ever expected it to. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that it's more than just um, like them handing money to someone in admissions. That's kind of willing to willing to help them along. It's more of, Something that you've that we're all expected to trust and believe is reliable uh, is is being abused here. Now, who's uh, let's see, who's uh, who's suing whom here? Or is it this is is this a lawsuit or is this criminal? I uh, think I believe it's criminal, but I'm not. Positive. Yeah, I'm, I, I think it has to be criminal because I'm pretty certain that. Aunt Becky, whatever, uh, Lori Laughlin, I think she was arrested and her bail is like a million dollars or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a, some insane amount of money. Um, and I say insane by a lot, not insane. Like it doesn't fit the crime. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's so insane to certain, you or me. Right. Exactly. Um, but I, I'm pretty certain it's criminal. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is super interesting. I mean, I just, I guess I'm having trouble. I so I, it's clearly wrong, but I'm having trouble seeing where the or I guess are uh, uh, formulating in my mind like how to express the wrongness. I mean, this is very different from, you know, somebody embezzling money in a company or manipulating the value of a company in some way, uh, you know, and defrauding shareholders. Uh, things like that, uh, or may, maybe it's something close to defrauding value or, or manipulating value. I don't know. Um, 
because it seems i mean i i could see if the unit so if the university were going after Lori laughlin or was this felicity huffman is that the other person um that that would make i mean that's easy to grasp it's like okay like these people lied to us and we let their children in and so we're going to go after them uh, but that's that's not what's happening, right? Isn't this is this governmental? Yeah, I think it's fraud. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty certain it's fraud in the in the instance of in order to be an accredited university or you know fill in the blank uh, you know governmental designation, you have to follow a certain number of rules. And I think that basically all of those got thrown out for some of these people for a certain sum of money. I see. Which is just straight up like that is fraud. I don't know who to trust anymore. <laughs> I know. It's so sad. My childhood was a lie. <laughs> yep. I thought Uncle Jesse was the scandalous one because he was in a band and wore a leather jacket. <laughs> it's all an elaborate ruse. <laughs> <laughs> How about we move on to some follow-up here? All right. I am excited to say that Artorius has arrived. Oh, and man. he is sitting on my desk in front of me right now after all that time. Ordered last... April or May and picked them up just, yeah, just not, uh, actually a couple weeks ago. I forgot to mention it on the last show, but yes, Artorias has arrived. That's awesome. I think you need to send me a picture so I can put it on our, uh, on the podcast page. Oh, great. Yeah, he's good. I, I'm impressed with the quality. I, you know, I'm not very familiar with these statues and how high quality they are, but I mean, for $10, I'm impressed. So it's a lot of detail. How uh, big is it? Uh, six inches. That's pretty nice. decent. So is this the the statue where he's kind of in a little bit of like a, a side lunge with his sword over his back? Yeah, he's right. Um, uh, yeah, he's lunging forward on his right leg and looking to his left with his sword over his back. Yeah. After you first brought it up, I looked up the statue. I'm like, oh, that actually looks kind of nice with a lot of detail. So for... Six inch statue with a lot of detail. It's probably a great purchase for ten bucks. Yeah, it it seemed that way to me. I mean, I you know I'm not a huge collector of these things. I I have three now. Um, I have Artorius. I have the Hunter from Bloodborne, and then I have I guess this isn't it's not the same company, but I have a uh, I have the Solaire of Astora, um, Amobi, or Amiibo. That's it, Amiibo. It was a it was a a gift uh, from Gloria. So. Big, big fan of these games, and they're they're sitting here on my desk, staring at me as we speak. Ten dollars seems like a really good deal for that, knowing uh, some amiibos go for like sixty bucks. Oh, that's crazy. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. It's it's kind of weird how Nintendo hand Nintendo handled it. They uh, didn't make too many, so there's pretty high demand for them. Well, maybe they handled it well then. I oh, don't know. yeah, maybe they did. Yeah. Well, but they're. They're not really getting a lot of that money. Someone else is. That's right. But it may add value to the brand. So like, uh, I don't know. It's something like the halo effect. Um, you know, if right. that gets Nintendo into the minds of consumers, then that's it's still going to have a positive impact. Um, and plus it, the fact they have functionality, like within the, within some games just increases their value, especially right. when they're rare and you can't, play the game a game the same way without getting a rarer amiibo it it creates secondary hype that's a good point nintendo seems to do pretty good at uh, generating hype yeah i agree 
say I'd say they're one of the best at it. All right, so I see we have something about mermaids here. Aaron, yeah. is, this, is this your comment? This this is my follow-up here. So Oh, I see. We, last episode we talked about whether mermaids were mammals or not, and you said that they are mammals. But I wanted to make a point here. If we're going off of The Little Mermaid, Disney's The Little Mermaid, as our uh, source material for what mermaids are, um, The Little Mermaid doesn't have to come up to the surface to breathe. So could she still be a mammal in that case? Right when you started speaking, I put into Google mammal. And this is what Google has to say about mammals. A warm-blooded vertebrate animal of a class that is distinguished by the possession of hair or fur the secretion of milk by females for the nourishment of the young, and in parentheses, typically, the birth of live young. So I don't know that um, breathing oxygen from the air is a requirement of being a mammal. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really know enough to say. I mean, the little Google snippet doesn't mention that. Um, so I don't know. What did, what, did you, what did you have in mind? It was that, do you just think that being a mammal required breathing air? I, I guess I'd assumed it, um, or compared to other mammals that live in the sea, they all, like whales and dolphins, um, they all have to come to the surface to breathe. So uh, that that's what I, what I was going off of, but maybe we need to consult an expert here. Can I chime in on something here? Please do. Oh, yeah. So I don't know a ton about this, and I was certainly not prepared to talk about uh, the finer workings of mermaid. But Wait, seriously, Jimmy, you should be ready for this. <laughs> right. Um, but I don't know that I would necessarily draw the mammal line at breathing air out of air, so to speak, because um, I, I have done a little bit of research in the past on this. And kind of the big difference is gills that, you know, most fish have. Uh, just that they specifically absorb oxygen out of water and we are equipped to basically take oxygen out of air. So we have each developed two different ways of acquiring the same element oxygen or O2 specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the back of my mind, while it would take a lot of time to evolve something like that, I don't really see a reason why humans couldn't change their respiratory system to to absorb oxygen out of water rather than you know bringing it out of air. It's hmm. a pretty good point. What yeah, that, think, seems, that seems right to me. I mean, so it seems like the breathing air is so it doesn't seem like that's part of the classification. But there, but typically mammals, maybe all mammals breathe air. I don't know, um, but there's certainly uh, some anatomy that's typical to mammals that lends itself to the breathing of air for instance the way the the lungs are structured things like this i'm doing research right now as we're talking so i'm learning a lot uh but yeah it seems that the the actual breathing of the air isn't part of the i I don't think it's part of the classification of why it falls or it does in the genus species structure of the animal kingdom and so you know hypothetically you could have something evolve differently and uh perhaps get oxygen through water but still have the um, differentia that would put it under the in, in the in, into the mammalian uh, branch of the tree, I think. But I don't I know. Who, what, do, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's fair enough. I uh, I feel like I've learned something here today. Does in uh, if you're familiar with the movie Waterworld, does he 
I feel like he has lungs in that movie. Is that correct? He has gills and lungs. Or he has gills. That, I meant he has gills. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. I don't really take Waterworld as seriously as I do The Little Mermaid, though. Just to, <laughs> I mean, I just want to put that out there. You know, it's all it's all well and good when we're just sort of like chit-chatting and everything. But, I mean, when we're really interested in the science, I think Little Mermaid, I don't, I really don't think Waterworld's relevant. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Postman, sure, but Waterworld, I, I don't know. Yeah. Getting a little crazy there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gotta love some Kevin Costner. You know when Kevin yeah. Costner was born? When? Do you know when yeah. Kevin Costner? Didn't we discuss this yeah. on our earlier show? Yeah, January 18th. Yeah, January 18th. 50s. Yeah. It's, it's a good day. All right, so we should. Uh, oh yeah. I I did want to make one uh, correction. Uh, last time I said. Thai, or I said chai iced tea, and I meant Thai iced tea. Two different things. So, just wanted to point that out. It shows a lot of integrity. Yeah, I I uh, try to be an honest person as That's much good. as I can. Yeah. So let's move on to some listener feedback here. We uh, we have quite a lot of it, and we won't be able to address it all, unfortunately. But I expect uh, perhaps the next episode we can address more of what we've gotten. We can have um, a listener feedback episode. We could. That'll uh, that'll save us having to think of other things to talk about. So it'll be perfect. Uh, yeah. So listener Amy pointed out that Portcullis and Jimmy. Do you know how the the word is pronounced? Are you familiar? I've always pronounced it Portcullis. Okay. Well, Amy points out that Portcullis is used in the Princess Bride, which I'd forgotten about. And the quote is Fezzik, the portcullis, uh, which Wesley says. So that's a good uh, that's a good reference for that word. Wait, which Wesley says what? He oh, wait, said he... Wesley says Fezzik, the portcullis. Oh, I misheard. Oh. I thought you said Fezzik, the portcullis, at which Wesley says. Oh, that, <laughs> right. I was like, and when was, she says what? <laughs> Wesley says was not part of the quote. I see. I, I was definitely said, waiting for follow-up, too. <laughs> I should have said quote, end quote, but I'm not professional, so I didn't do that. <laughs> no, that's a good reference. I Yeah, I, I forgot about that scene. Yeah. That's after they set the cloak on fire, right, and scare all the people? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, the, where he claims to be Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. And such a good movie. It is one of my favorites. And and I think one of the most quotable movies of all time. That's fair. I was trying to think of a quote to you to <laughs> respond, and I couldn't think of one. But I do think you're right. It's a very easily quotable movie. Yeah. So I so I see I see Gloria next on the follow up. Is this a Gloria that I know? This is. It is the very same Gloria that you are married to. I see. All right, man. She gave us a lot of follow up. I'll have to talk to her about this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's awesome. All right. So what did you did you pick something? Yes, she gave us three items of follow up, and I'm just going to pick one for this episode, and perhaps we can address the others in a later one. Um, so let me let me read this one. She says on episode five, you discuss how video games are becoming like real life. This reminds me of Robert Nozick's Nozick. Yeah. Nozick. Okay. Nozick's famous thought experiment, The Experienced Machine, where we imagine a psychologist can hook us up to some machine that produces whatever desirable experience we want, 
and these experiences seem like real life to us. Would one rather be hooked up to this machine or be in the real world? This thought experiment is supposed to pull intuitions to the latter, where it seems we would prefer to be in the real world. However, do you think soon video games in the future could almost mimic the experience machine? Do you think this is something future generations will have to be mindful of? What do you guys think? Well, maybe let me let me add just like a bit of detail. So, yeah, so this is an interesting. Are you familiar with this? I am. Yeah, this is rather famous. Um, So, right. So Nozick's idea is you get plugged into a machine. You aren't aware that you're in the machine and you, you know, can do any manner of thing you would like. So you can get plugged in the machine and win the New York Marathon, let's say. Is it kind of like the Matrix? Um, Yeah. I mean, in the sense that you you uh, are in this immersive virtual reality and you aren't aware of it in that sense. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, yeah, you can extend it and say, you know, so, well, let me, let me, let me back up. So the first question is, um, you know, would you rather win the New York marathon by, you know, training and, you know, effort, or would you rather be hooked into the, the experience machine and win the New York marathon? Um, you still, you still, you know, uh, believe you ran the race at least while you're running it and received the award in, in either case um you know so which would you prefer and, and then, the, then the extension would be that you get plugged into the experience machine until you die and so you never get unplugged and you always you know you're in the experience machine you don't know it but you know presumably beforehand you program the life that you want you know you win the new york marathon you know you go on to be do something invent something that changes humanity forever win the nobel prize whatever um and then you die in the, the experience machine. Uh, which which would you choose? And that's that's the question. And and like Gloria says here, um, the the what the thought experiment is supposed to, what what it's supposed to do is is get you to see the value of achievement um, in reality and, and the the working for achievement as opposed to just I guess mere uh, fabricated achievement like you would have in the Matrix or an experience machine. So what do you guys think? I, I struggle with this. I, I am familiar with the thought experiment. And like every time this thought experiment comes up, I'm immediately taken back to reading Brave New World, um, where it's, it's not the exact same thing. But like the, the use of Soma in Brave New World is the same idea of would you rather kind of be numb to the negatives of the world or would you rather experience reality for what it is? And I... I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle with the um, the desire to not have all of the negatives that come with kind of living a real life being around. Um, so that desire to kind of numb everything or only experience the things I want to experience are there. But I don't know that I could actually get myself to want to live a life um, only composed of, you know, the things exactly the way that I want them. Yeah. I think I feel the same way. Now, do you know that you're in the experience machine when you're in it? You do not. You do not. So you don't really have a choice of, it's more of a beforehand knowing this could happen, would you choose to do it or not do it? Is that right. the idea? Okay. Right. Yeah. Once once you're in it, you just, you don't realize it's not real anymore. Um, yeah, I think I feel the same way in that it's it's very tempting to just want to have this sort of fulfilling life where you you realize and achieve everything you want to 
um, without any barriers. But I also am of the belief that a lot of those barriers and, and struggles and setbacks are actually good for us. And um, us just getting what we want all the time is not actually a healthy thing. Now, what if all that was programmed in? I mean, that's what they, they did in the Matrix, right. right? Is they said, oh, the world is too good. And, um, the you know, it, it didn't work. They lost. What do they say? Uh, like whole whole batches were lost or something like that. So then they had to program in suffering. Yeah. What, what if they accounted for that? So then the question is just uh, whether it's real or not. Right. Yeah. Why the experience machine then? If I can, let's just use the exact uh, example of running a marathon. If so, if the suffering that would go into me trying to run a marathon were built into that, um, I could just suffer in real life. There'd be no reason for me to go through the machine. It, so I, well, I mean, I'm going to be presumptuous and just sure. assume that you, you at this point, maybe because of your age or whatever else, um, wouldn't be able to put enough effort. There, there is no amount of effort that you could put into winning the New York marathon. Um, if that's not the case, maybe, maybe you're like an amazing runner and Aaron hasn't told me about that yet, but just Jimmy is pretty amazing. I should point this out. Well, fair enough. I mean, if that's the case, but I mean, just most people, I mean, you just take a random sampling of people aren't going to be able to win the New York marathon. And so that's, you know, so that's the thing like that, that could be a reason why you step into the experience machine is because, you know, like, you know, you are an amazing runner, but being an amazing runner isn't enough to win the New York marathon. You know, you have to be beyond that. And so then you step into the experience machine and you put all this effort into it and then win the New York marathon. So what yeah, about, yeah, that is a, a, a very tempting, uh, a very tempting thing. Um, and I have, there is no chance that I will ever win the New York marathon, even though I am a, a relatively active person. Um, I could probably struggle to finish a marathon and it would be a struggle, but I could probably do it. Um, but I do not think I would ever in my wildest dreams be able to win one. So that's a being getting that specific is it is interesting. And it kind of I think you guys started talking about VR at one point and like it plays into that of like VR is going to become a thing for experiences like this, like things that you could never do. Like I'll never be a running back in the NFL ever, never, ever. And it's kind of compelling to see what it would look like to run plays from the helmet of a running back. Yeah. yeah or even be able to, you know, play in the NFL and not have to worry about, um, the, the concussions, the, what is the, uh, the degenerative disease from concussions? Um, that's, Oh, what am I ta- what am I thinking of? Hold on. I'm going to look this up. I, I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it's called exactly, L- but likewise. Yeah, it's a it's a really big deal right now. Oh, yes. yeah. But I what scares me is so I I do like um I do like where VR is going and the idea of being able to experience things like this. I don't think is a bad thing. Um but what scares me is the idea that you no longer know what's real and that you no longer are able to leave uh, leave the virtual world or even distinguish the difference. Right. Right. Um, and Gordon, are you thinking of CTE now that it comes to mind? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, CTE. Yeah, and I have no idea what that stands for, but I do remember CTE now. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember what it stands for either. But I, yeah, it's where plaque builds up in your frontal lobe and prevents. Um, it blocks connections 
and prevent certain neural activity. So right. chronic, it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. That's encephalopathy. There we go. Right. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. yeah. Real easy to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, very interesting. Yeah, it is. We should talk about this more later. Uh, it's cool. Maybe we could have Gloria on the show to talk about it. Ooh, that'd be cool. Ooh, yeah. yeah. It gets into definitely some really philosophical topics. Very much so. All right. So let's see. Okay. Uh, so we, so we, we got some feedback from the listener who we've decided to call Bob. Okay. And he's he sent us a very, very extensive feedback. Uh, he has... Let's see, five different points of feedback, and they're all they're all uh, quite lengthy. Yeah, this is an enormous amount of feedback. It's funny. <laughs> I just like skip to the bottom. It says, "Okay, super long feedback." Yes, this is super long. <laughs> um, yeah, we we really will have a show just for feedback next time, huh? Yeah. Oh, we can. No problem. All right. Uh, so what are we addressing? Well, he does. He does. So yeah, he mentions a lot of things. He talks about. Um, Let's see. He he talks about oxy, oxytocin, which we talked about, the hugging drug. Um, and he has some doubts about the study and its implications as far as whether board games uh, actually uh, increase or, or help you develop your relationships. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Um, he, he talks about philosophy and, and the definition of philosophy and free will as well. Uh, but then he uh, he talks about mythical creatures, and um, he he says he knows you were Gordon. You're being a little cheeky with uh, the the definition of um, of what a mythical creature is, and as far as it being something that exists outside of reality. Uh, but he says not clear what mythical creatures are beyond just possible but not actual creatures. Um, so he was a little confused by that and felt like we were inconsistent in our idea of what a mythical creature is interesting uh do you have a response for him not really i th i still think of a mythical creature as something outside of reality and i think i said this last time but generally it's something that's based on uh a story so well i'd say a mythical creature is something that's based on a story that we've come up with yeah it seems like the go-to you know so i yeah i mean i do have issue with you know exist but not in reality it's you know i get the sentiment but i don't i don't really know what that means and i mean that's the sort of but that's the sort of thing that's you know uh plagued people for a long time there are these issues of uh these these statements that have meaning but no referent and that that sounds that sounds like that shouldn't be possible um i shouldn't be able to refer to something that doesn't exist because reference is a is a relation <laughs> but you can't relate to things one of which doesn't exist so uh, I don't know. It gets crazy. But yeah, it just seems like creatures from myths. A mythical creature is a creature from a myth. Yeah, I'd, I'd say a widely accepted story or a widely yeah, known story. Right. Perhaps a traditional story, especially one concerning the early age of a people or explaining some natural social phenomenon, <laughs> typically involving supernatural beings or events. That's what I would say off the top yeah. of my head. You're, yeah, you're, you're not reading that, are you? No, of course not. I mean, and if I could choose a second way to express it, um, I might say a widely held but false belief or idea. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know, but that's, you're not talking about the second one. Obviously the first one. No, 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 clearly yeah. not. Clearly not. <laughs> uh, I think, was it, was it a uh, listener we call Bob was, was he or she also the person that wanted us to 
to look stuff up more while on the show? Yes, he or she was. Okay, yeah, well, that's what I just did. So, <laughs> Obvi. Yeah, box checked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're trying. We're 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 listening to feedback, and we're trying to make changes based on your responses. Um, yeah, I. It is hard though. So yeah, so a creature from a myth sounds like a pretty good start for a mythical creature. It it does dodge the question though, of what it would be like. What what we're referring to. Uh, in these cases it's a bit dodgy yes yeah um jimmy do you have any comments on non-referential expressions uh not really i think you've summed it up pretty well honestly and i would land on the side of your textbook definition of (laughs) they are creatures from stories that aren't real and kind of leave it there yeah i think it's a good working example or explanation no where this gets really interesting is mathematics um oh yeah so you have yeah so non-referential expressions about you know pegasus or baby centaurs that's one thing but a lot of you know our lives revolve around uh the exploits of mathematics and technology and things and there's a big question about where these things exist if they exist at all and if they don't exist what are we talking about and what are we basing our bridges on and because we really don't want our bridges to fall so yeah (laughs) good Good point. Well, on that note, let's get to our topic of today. And let me read what I have here for for our topics. It is Jimmy talks mocap and AI (laughs) until he's blue in the face. (laughs) This is why you write the show notes. (laughs) So so Jimmy, I we we kind of had a little discussion on the side. I think it was earlier this week, maybe it was last week, but I want you to, so you, you mentioned to me uh, quite a few uses of motion capture that I didn't mention uh, in the previous episode when I was talking about motion capture, AKA mocap. And I'd love to hear you talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. So just a, a, a little bit more context for well, Gordon specifically, but yeah. also the listeners mm-hmm. um, after your, uh, it was two or three episodes ago when Aaron talked about kind of what he does with House of Moves and motion capture. Uh, Gordon specifically seemed rather interested in the process and kind of how it all works. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, Aaron's going to be able to go into all the like different things, not just the things that directly relate to his job. Um, and then and, he did. And, and then like, I oh, did. <laughs> I totally uh, disappointed. There's this whole other like other worlds of uses that are at the very least fascinating. And so I started to, and then I realized like, oh, Aaron's from the animation world. He might not actually know all of these things. So well, I started to spell it out to him. Well, to be fair, I mean, it's I, I do have this habit of derailing people. This is why <laughs> this is why the show is called As You Were Saying, because it, <laughs> it seems so apt uh, in so many it's so often apt in these conversations that I'm a part of, but I do have a question. Have you ever mocapped a polar bear? <laughs> <laughs> have not. Uh, not specifically. At least I have not. I'm sure somebody probably has at some point. We have mocapped some pretty ridiculous things, though. Yep. Have you mocapped a mini splinted thing? A what? A what? <laughs> a mini splinted oh, thing. Mini splinted. Oh, mini <laughs> I thought you said splinted. Yeah, me too. I was like, uh. That was my third question. We we broken someone's legs, applied splints, and then mocap them. 
And then mocapped a rat doing karate. <laughs> that would be a splinter thing. Would be uh, a little teenage mutant ninja turtle reference there. You're Jimmy's, referencing that to the right person. <laughs> yeah, J- Jimmy is a very big TNM. Team. Oh, really? Okay, yes. great. Yeah. Yes, yes, I am. I still have like there's Ninja Turtles in my office at work and at home. In fact, I have like n- actual nice art pieces of each of the each of the turtles hanging up in my home that my wife was kind enough to allow me to hang in our living room. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Uh, all right, I guess we should get back to motion capture. Sorry about that. Yeah. I I do want to mention that we did at one point mocap a stuffed snake. So yep. Wait, what? <laughs> was it moving? I mean, a person was moving it. Oh, I see. Yeah, it, it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So anyway, Jimmy, as you were saying. Sure. Um, so outside, like most people who are even familiar with what motion capture is tend to know it from its entertainment uses, video games, movies, what have you, makes Gollum and whatnot. You see a person in a what looks like a scuba suit with wearing reflective ping pong balls um, is the general term, the mm-hmm. way I see, hear it described to me. Um, but a much larger use, there's actually two much larger uses for it than just entertainment. And the largest use is actually in the biomedical field, um, which is where it comes from, where Doctors will put markers on a patient's legs for gait analysis. Um, and there's with gait analysis, you get a ton of data that's relevant, especially in rehabilitation. So if somebody undergoes surgery, you can put them through PT and then marker them up and you have actual numbers to show them as like progress towards getting back to a more natural gait. Yeah, that's amazing. I so I heard about this. I think is it Van, I think Vanderbilt does something like this for ALS. I don't think I realized at the time that it was motion capture, but it, I mean it has to be. It sounds like the same thing. They have an array of cameras and then um an ALS patient yep uh walk and then they they do all of this analysis. Yep. And yeah. it gives you all kinds of of data points that you would never think like actually matter to somebody. Um but it is everything from like the angle that your knee is in, in relation to your ankle when your heel strikes versus when it lifts off. And it me all this data means something to somebody who's much smarter than I am. <laughs> um, but it is kind of impressive just what, you know, 10 or 12 cameras around a person, what it can do to actually push rehabilitation forward in a mathematical sense, in like a very, very meaningful sense beyond just looking at somebody and saying, oh, it looks like you're making progress or it feels like you're making progress. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, And then what I thought was kind of an even more fascinating use of motion capture is in the engineering field. And um, we basically would not have drones. And I don't mean drones like the quadcopters that you know, you can buy off the shelf. I mean, drones like uh, the planes that fly themselves, um, typically for military uses, but basically self-driving planes would not be a thing without motion capture. And the way that those came about was you have somebody who's building a small device that can supposedly fly itself and you put markers all over it and you have it fly itself. 
while capturing its data. And then when it gets back, you compare where it thought it was in 3D space with where it actually was in 3D space. And that's kind of step one. Um, over time, you adjust your, your algorithms and eventually you get to the point where more or less it's flying. It thinks it's, it is where it actually is. And so then you start feeding it actual data. You feed it its own data in real time so that it can make slight adjustments in real time and actually learn how to fly itself. And that then that's a very short version of how, you know, basically self-manned um, or self-flying aircrafts became a thing. Are they, what is this, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles? Exactly. Yeah, UAV. Yeah. Um, so wait, so what's the first step? You So wait, the, the thing... Moves, flies itself right and then the motion capture collects that information and then that doesn't does that get fed back into the device at that point or does that just go back to the lab the first step was basically comparing of okay you know it flies itself and it has its own like data calculation on board where it kind of spits out its 3d data um and then you have the mocap cameras that say nope here's where you actually were because we're sub millimeter accurate and then a person's going to look at that data and compare the two. Exactly. And then go back to the algorithm and and tweak it a little bit. And you do that over and over again until it gets close enough. Until you also then write something where it can learn from 3D positional data being fed to it where it actually is. And, you know, that kind of gave rise to um, things being able to figure out where they are in 3D space. I see. So this is like when I, you know, when when the, I don't know, the Google asks me if I'm a robot and then shows me pictures of flamingos. And if I select all the flamingos correctly, it lets me move on. It's sort of like that, right? Because it's using, I take it Google's using that to help train an algorithm to, you know, detect flamingos. And, and the, in your example, the flamingos are, is, is the, the, well, I guess the properly selected flamingos would be the, the 3D space collected by the motion capture cameras i've never heard it described that way but it's, it's an actually it's actually not too far off of an analogy except one is the humans giving the data and the other is the device is giving its own data yeah right right i, I just mean you have you have the this good data that you've collected right that you're co confident is good and then you take that back to the lab and then you have um, other data and then you have an algorithm and you're trying to get the algorithm to um perform to where it can distinguish between the good and the bad exactly yeah exactly so jimmy do you know if uh self-driving cars if they've developed those in the same way or is it pretty different i'm i don't know like from hands-on uh so uh quick aside my background is in biomedical and engineering uses of motion capture and when i was doing that eight plus years ago um self-driving cars were like barely a thing i don't know mm -hmm. why people started with planes before cars but they did <laughs> <laughs> you think one would be a little easier but right um but i have to assume it is because at some point you have the 2d cameras that are kind of all over the cars that are figuring out where it is in the world and it needs to know how wrong it is at some point so my guess is is that they kind of made self-driving cars the same way i'm just not I don't have firsthand knowledge that that's true. 
Gotcha. I've heard. I, I would think for cars, it's maybe a little easier in that the cars have more of a frame of reference as far as it's easier to look at its environment and tell where it is, whereas a flying thing um, is since it's up in the air it's probably more difficult yeah and the thing that's up in the air only has one camera so almost yeah. all uavs have like a camera that's looking at the ground trying to create like create a 3d topology out of a 2d image um to figure out kind of how high it is relative to mountains or valleys or whatever the case may be um but I, i'm pretty certain they all only have a single camera whereas cars ha are literally surrounded by them mm. Now, do you happen to know why they don't put a second camera? It seems like that would add a lot of, I mean, that would help a lot in adding detail. I don't. And quite frankly, there might be a second camera. Um, again, only using kind of firsthand knowledge, which was um, the things that were being tested in labs. Um, and I'm not talking labs like gigantic airplane uh, hangers. I'm talking about like a lab that you would see on like a TV show where it's kind of like a big room. So you'd, you'd be flying something small around that has a little camera in front of it to give it some idea of where it actually is. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, what are some of the other uses of, of mocap in medicine? Is it mainly just rehabilitation and trying to stop the progression of uh, degenerative diseases? I, it's, it's everything in medicine, everything that relates to movement in medicine. Um, you know, gait analysis happens to be like the the runaway, like it is the highest use of motion capture by a lot. Um, but everything from like catching, you know, shoulder pain, like what does shoulder pain actually mean? And looking at how your shoulder rotates or how basically any part of your body moves, some doctor somewhere can put motion capture markers on that part of the body, or I should say around that part of the body and get meaningful data out of that that can you know inform them as to whether things are going well or poorly or getting better or worse and that can be for research purposes or rehabilitative purposes and i don't remember if you mentioned it but that's where mocap got its start right it was is all in the medical field yep all yeah. in the medical field it all started with uh, biomedics that's really neat do you know if they do so at our studio we do uh we do it with cameras and markers but there's also motion capture where they actually just have sensors on their body um do you know if they do it that way or if it's markers is still the preferred method in the if you're doing in the biomedical field, field yeah. it's almost always markers um okay. markers so the what uh aaron's talking about are the, the suits that use sensors tend to use inertia and inertia is just a little less accurate than optical markers um, where optical markers are sub millimeter accurate. Inertial markers can be closer to a millimeter or more. Huh, I didn't know that. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a world that most people don't know exists um, because the fanfare is around, well, Lord of the Rings and Marvel and God of War and stuff like that. Entertainment uh, tends to get a lot of press these days. Yep. Definitely more than research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how – so this – I'm curious if this is related. I'm trying to formulate what I'm going to say. So 
my Apple Watch can detect when I fall. And I've gotten some, I've never, I haven't fallen while wearing it, um, but it's thought I've fallen uh, twice that I can think of. Because I, I think I was trying to trick it. I like jumped onto my bed or something. And I think I successfully got it to go off. Um, you, you mentioned these uh, sensors using inertia. How similar is what the Apple Watch does in detecting falls or exercise in general to what the sensors do in motion capture? Or, or are they just not even at all related? Uh, so what you're talking about that use um, that uses inertia is probably very similar to the accelerometer that is in your Apple Watch, um, which is just it figures out what it thinks is you standing up. And if you are all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, lower than it thinks you are very quickly, it's been programmed to assume that you have fallen. Um, I'd be interested to know what your Apple Watch thinks if you were to go on one of those rides where they rise you up really quickly and just drop you at a random moment. Oh, like a Tower um, of Terror kind of thing? Exactly. Um, I don't have an answer for that, but my guess is is that your Apple Watch is going to ask, hey, are you okay? I think you just <laughs> fell a hundred feet <laughs> well so i'm not i'm not sure because so this thing it was really hard to trick um i had i had to basically fall to get it to go off um i couldn't you know just changing heights really quickly didn't work huh. i can't i couldn't just like jump onto my bed or just like fall backwards or something like that i had to I mean, basically fall. And what I what I took from that was that it was taking into account like part of what it was using to identify a fall had to do with the way I was moving my arms to protect myself. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. So, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't just rapid movement on a certain axis or anything. I wonder if it can also distinguish the difference between a normal fall and a trust fall. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> That is uh, interesting that it's hard to trick it. I wonder if it's designed to pull data from the accelerometer as well as the heart rate sensor. And like when you actually fall, I'm assuming your heart rate probably spiked. Uh, and it's possible that those two things together told the Apple Watch, hey, this guy just hit the ground. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I have to look into that. I'm sure there's articles or something. Um, I think Apple has a machine learning journal that's public, but... Maybe there's something in there, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's That's really interesting. I'm surprised Apple has anything public. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Right. Yeah. Jimmy, I wanted you to talk about one more thing that I only briefly mentioned was, um, the, the, uh, Twitch streaming channel that we're doing. Hmm. I want, I wanted to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun. It's a, a character that, uh, some artists that are, that are, uh, studio created called Zoe. Um, and it's actually the, the world's first 3D, fully real-time Twitch streamer. Um, and it's, it's super fun because she lives basically through a video game engine. And because she lives through a video game engine, we get all the stuff that comes along with video game engines, like effects or like changing things on the fly as long as we've already set that up. So Zoe can be streaming and at the click of a button, we can change her hair to something that we've already made or change her shirt or have fireworks go off in the background. As long as they've already like exist within the quote unquote game, it's something that we can, we can give her access to while she's streaming. And, um, and she, the cool thing is that other people can make those events happen. 
Exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, kind of a new it's a new way of consumer engagement where I'm the Twitch user and it's worth it to me to see her, uh, you know, stream dressed as as a Wonder Woman if she has like a Wonder Woman outfit. And so I throw what the current the, the Twitch currency is called bits. I can throw bits at her and change her to be Wonder Woman. Or to wear her Wonder Woman costume, um, and you know if it's up if it's worth it to somebody else to change that, then they do the same thing. They throw bits at her and change her to whatever they want. Um, but they are it is kind of the viewer changing the viewee. Wait, the viewer, yeah, yeah, changing the person who's doing the streaming to match what kind of what I want to see as long as it's something that's already been created. Right. Viewee is a weird phrase. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Twitch is like YouTube, but live and for people to display what they're doing with video games. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and then in this case you have a, a person Aaron, I think you talked about this on the show before, and I, I got confused. Um, yeah. So I want to try and clarify, get it right this time. But so you have, so you're watching a person, and they are, it's it's live action with computer effects, or is it a 3D model? It's a 3D model. What you see, so if you think of a just a screen, most Twitch screens have like 90% the game that they're playing happening and then in like one of the corners like a 10 percent of like a bottom left corner or something will be a box where you see the streamer either on a green screen which means they're kind of blend into the the game or their room um and so instead of having for example like my real life face in my real life room the person that you see in the bottom left corner is a digital 3d character who looks like a cartoon character. She looks like something out of like a Pixar movie in a digital world that is also looks like something that would come out of like a Pixar movie or something like that. And you know that it's not faked. That is it, it wasn't made beforehand because I can chat as a viewer. I can chat. I can put um, my own thoughts into chat and she can respond to them in real time. Um, and so there is no there's no faking it because if you want if I don't think it's real, I can just keep typing until she responds to me directly. And then like that disbelief is now gone. Yeah. So think of it as um, think of it as you're watching someone with a puppet and and they're reacting and responding with this puppet. Well, instead of a puppet, it's a CG character. Yep. So so you're okay. just, you're watching that in real time. Okay, so there's some there's somebody playing a video game being motion captured and then the 3D models generated from that and that's what you're seeing on Twitch is yep. that okay. You're seeing that and the game. Yeah. Okay. That's super interesting. It is. It's really fun. We've gotten a lot of really positive feedback um and you know, I've had a personal interest in something like this because I am a Twitch viewer. Like I've, I play video games and I watch video games. Um, and it is, I find myself still kind of in awe that it's a thing. Um, even though obviously I know how it's done and helped create it. I, I, the, the wonderment hasn't, hasn't left me yet, which is nice. That's a good sign. Yeah. And I, I feel the same way. It's, uh, 
it's pretty amazing and, and uh, fascinating. Yep. Um, well, if we, I, I think this is a good time to, to end the show for now. Uh, okay. Unless, unless you had any further things you guys wanted to say, any, any more comments? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty satisfied that this has been really fun. Yeah. It's been great. It's been great being on here. I appreciate you guys offering. Yeah. And hopefully we can have you back again sometime, Jimmy. This has been great. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. And, we appreciate it. And listeners, if you have any questions for Jimmy, feel free to send them through the usual channels and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll direct them Jimmy's way. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Jimmy. Thank and, you. And Gordon, as always, it's been great talking with you. Yep, Aaron, always a pleasure. And we'll uh, we'll talk again later. All right, take care. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.